0: I wanna preface everything I'm gonna say today with these remarks. Here they are. First John chapter four, verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse eight, he that loveth not, Knoweth not God, here it is, for God is love. That's the shortest and most complete definition of God in your Bible. God, the God of the eternal universe. God who stood on nothing and said light be when there was nobody there to see it. God is love. One of the greatest theologians of a past generation was asked a question at one of the large universities in the, in the divinity college of a large university. He was asked by some of the stellar students there, what is the greatest thought that has ever been impressed upon your mind? They thought as they got their pens and pads ready that he would give them some great philosophical idealism that it would take them months to decipher But looking over the brim of his glasses, he looked at that young audience and he said, I've studied the Bible for nearly 50 years. And this is the greatest thought that has ever struck upon my mind. It is this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The shortest, most complete definition of God is that God is love now we skip over that but i want you to say it out loud so you can hear it with your own ears i want you to say god is love say it again god is i want you to let everybody around the world represented by these flags around these walls i want you to let everybody in the whole wide world know what god is say it again god is love. let everyone under the brutality of islam know what god is say it again let every person that is under the taskmaster of cults around the world those that don't know God those that are only in a religion A religion is an attempt by man to get to God. Did you get that? Religion is an attempt by man to get to God. That is not what Christianity is. Christianity is not man's attempt to get to God. Christianity is the story of God condescending and coming to men in the flesh and blood form of his son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Here are the distinguishing characteristics of the Christian faith. It is the only religion in the world with a virgin womb at one end and an empty tomb at the other somebody give Jesus of Nazareth praise and glory God is love in the Quran there are over 90 different names for Allah over 90 different names for Allah none of them are love It is not a God of love that is presented to those of the Islamic faith. It is a completely different kind of God and that's why I will be silent no more. Our times it, our history compels it our future requires it and most of all God is watching for 30 years I've labored in Christian ministry across this nation and by God's grace together we have built this great congregation of thousands and we preach the message of Jesus Christ literally around the world by the miracle of television I've taught the truth in millions of Americans homes I've preached in stadiums where crowds gathered hours in advance to hear the answer to the questions that their souls long for. I've been privileged to feed the hungry. I've been privileged to stand for righteousness and to to take a stand for justice. But this is not why I speak now. Nor do I speak because faith has become the consuming interest of our generation. Only the sadly uninformed would fail to know that since September 11, 2001 our country has raised a great spiritual chorus of desperation. In a land where it was once thought rude to discuss politics or god in public in a nation where it was normal for people to speak seriously of the death of god questions of faith now rule the public discourse from mel gibson's film the passion of the christ to rick warren's books on the purpose driven life to the rock group evanescence singing wake me up inside from this nothing i become to a news Week article asking, Who is Jesus? Our generation is seeking as never before, as none have done ever in history. Even the distortions of truth, like the popular Da Vinci Code or the Rule of Four, show that people are grasping for spirituality at any price. This I know, but this is not why I speak now. Instead, I speak because we have come to a moment in the history of our nation where the possibilities are so great and where the Christ are so pressing and the voices of wisdom seem to be so few that not to speak would become a violation of a sacred trust. Indeed, it may be that now at the dawn of a brand new millennium, our nation has the potential to become what our fathers dreamed. But th- if this is true, it's no wonder that it's being attacked from without and dismantled from within. As President George W. Bush said in his moving speech just after September 11th at the National Cathedral, the commitment of our fathers has now become the commitment of our time I need to say that again the commitment of our fathers has now become the commitment of our time he was right It's time to renew our father's commitment and there is much to be gained by a return to the discarded values of the past. Therefore, I will be silent no more. I refuse to stand in embarrassed silence while old faiths and new agendas rush in to fill the void left by a supposedly discarded Christianity. I will rail against the idea that the God of Christianity and the God of Islam are the same being. I will sound the alarm about the pernicious agendas of the enemies of my country and the cross of my christ and i will proclaim the truth at every opportunity oh i know what they'll say they'll say that religious people only care about protecting their beliefs they couldn't care less about society as a whole but they misjudge me they do not know where i have been they do not know what i believe nor do they understand that i intend to speak boldly to both sides of the political spectrum to the believing and to the non believing to the socially as well as the economically conscientious I intend to take issues that traditionally belong to the left and commend them to the right I intend to take the concerns of the secular and commend them to the religious in short I intend to offend everybody you might say I have become in my old age an equal opportunity offender so now you know why I can be silent no more not until the land of our father's dream arises not until the commitment of our fathers truly does become the calling of our time there is a choice there is a chance that you and I have to take and we have to make for a great and righteous nation to emerge in the years ahead I pray for it I long for it I believe for our children to know it and now you understand why until the land of promise emerges you and I must become silent no more would you just shout that one time the times in which we live has seen an increasing emphasis on multiculturalism and multinationalism we are told that sovereign nations must submit to international organizations in order for everyone to live in peace and harmony after all there are few differences between us we are told why can't we all just learn to get along with each other now, if you've been tempted to believe this siren of compromise and complacency, listen to this prayer from a Muslim jurist. We're told we, we just all got to get along. This multiculturalism, this multinationalism that will give ri- rise to one world religion and one world government. But you don't, You're not listening to me right now. I want you to hear what this Muslim jurist has to say. Allah, there is no strength but your strength. Destroy, therefore, the Zionist occupation and its helpers and its agents. Destroy the United States. And its helpers and its agents. Destroy Britain and its helpers and its agents. Prepare those who will soon unite the Muslims of the world. And march in the footsteps of Saladin. Allah, we ask you for forgiveness. Forgiveness before death and mercy and forgiveness after death. Allah, grant victory to Islam and the Muslims in the coming war. If I would pray that prayer in public from this pulpit, they would have me arrested for inciting a riot and violence. But we have bought into this inclusion philosophy of political correctness to the point that it is stifling out the glory of the cross of Christ. This prayer was written by a Mufti in Jerusalem, Sheikh Ikrahim Sobri. Two weeks, two weeks before September 11th. I'm not a spiritual person. I'm actually a little suspicious of everybody that is. You make me nervous. I've been around too many granola people. Fruits, nuts and flakes. I don't have many dreams. I don't have many dramatic spiritual experiences. If I do, it's usually because I had too much King's pizza the night before. Yet, on the morning of September 11th, I had an experience that I must tell you today I shall never forget. I'd gone to bed at my usual time. I'd slept peacefully through part of the night. The Next morning... I awoke from a deep sleep in a pool of tears. Now, I don't mean that I was somewhat tearful as though from a dream that had moved me. I mean that I was weeping violently as though grief had possessed my soul. It confused me and left me disoriented for a while. I wondered about the house. Only after trying to clear my mind did I finally make the decision that I could try to get to the office for an important meeting. But I couldn't stop weeping. I got in the office. I called Joni. I said, honey, you, you've you got to pray for me. Moments after that, one of my staff came rushing into my office and told me to turn on the television. I couldn't believe what I saw. The first image that formed on my television screen is what I now know was the second aircraft to hit the World Trade Center. I knew then why my spirit was grieving And awaken me from a deep sleep in a pool of tears of intercession when that horrible day of infamy occurred people began saying we live in a new world now It'll it'll never be the same again they were trying to get their minds around the fact that such horrors must be a signal of a new era that people would surely never feel safe again and as right as they may have been about people never feeling safe again in our generation they were wrong that this was anything new the truth is it was very old it's a battle that has been raging for centuries it simply crashed into our lives on. 9-11. A war waged in nations around the world in the serenity of our western landscape it was a war between Islam and Christian civilization we shouldn't really have been surprised at all the violence that had been escalating for years for example let me articulate a few of them for you in 1979 the US embassy in Iran was stormed and American embassy staff held hostage for 444 days by Muslim extremists in 1980 1982, the United States Embassy in Beirut was bombed. In 1983, the United States Marine barracks in Beirut were blown up. In 1985, an Italian cruise ship, you'll remember, the Achille Laurel was seized and a 69-year-old American was killed. In 1986, a West Berlin discotheque frequented by U.S. servicemen was bombed. In 1988, another passenger jet, Pan Am Flight 103, was bombed. In 1993, the World Trade Center was bombed the first time. Shall I continue? 1995, five Americans were killed by a car bomb set by Muslim extremists. In 1996, a U.S. Air Force housing complex in Saudi Arabia was bombed. In 1998, the United States embassies in Kenya and Tanzania were bombed. Well, let me me give you this. In 1998, not only were the U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania bombed, in October of 2000, our warship, you'll remember, the USS Cole was attacked again by Muslim extremists. John Walker Lind, an American who went by the Muslim name Suleiman, wound up training in an Al-Qaeda camp and fighting for the Taliban against our troops in Afghanistan. The DC sniper, John Allen Williams, took upon himself the name of John Allen Muhammad, indicating his ideological alignment with Islam. I can't begin to tell you how important it is that we understand the true nature of Islam. That we see it for what it really is. In fact, I'll tell you this. I do not believe our nation can truly fulfill its divine purpose until we understand our historical conflict with Islam. I know that this statement sounds extreme but I'm not shrinking back from its implications. The fact is that America was founded. I'm going to stagger you right now. America was founded in part with the intention of seeing this false religion destroyed and i believe september 11 2001 was a generational call to arms that we can no longer ignore consider this evidence among other dreams It was the defeat of Islam that spurred Christopher Columbus on as he sailed to the New World in 1492. He was a young boy when the devastating news of the fall of Constantinople to Muslim armies reached his land. It marked him for life. He grew into manhood surrounded by the tales of the Crusades into Muslim lands. When he determined to fulfill Marco Polo's dream and return to the east by sailing west, he did so in part to harvest the Wealth of the new world to liberate the old world from Islam, as he wrote to Isabella and Ferdinand from the Americas on his first voyage. I hope to God that when I come here from Castile, that I will find gold in such quantities that within three years the sovereign will prepare for and undertake the reconquest of the Holy Land. I have already petitioned your highness to see to it that all the profits of my enterprise should be spent on the conquest of Jerusalem and your highness smiled and said that the idea pleased him and that even without the expedition they had an inclination to do it. Columbus dreamed of defeating the armies of Islam with the armies of Europe made mighty through the wealth of the new world. It was this dream that in part began the United States of America. What Columbus dreamed became the hope of later generations. The greatest theologian of the American colonial era and possibly of American history was Jonathan Edwards. In the history of redemption written in 1773, Edwards predicted, listen to this, in 1773, Jonathan Edwards predicted that a great revival would begin at the dawn of the 21st century, that it would begin in America, and that it would spell the end of Islam. That was 1773. I want to run you forward to 2001 and then forward, September 11, 2001, and then forward to 2005. And if you can begin to catch the prophetic importance of what is going on from this pulpit in Columbus, Ohio, reaching 96% of America and nearly 200 nations of the world. We're not just here this morning. Gathered together for some little sermonette We are standing prophetically To declare the thus saith the Lord To the ends of the world And to by the grace of God See the light of the glorious gospel Of the Prince of Peace Shed abroad in the hearts of people From all, all Wayward religions Jonathan Edwards In 1773 Prophesied this moment what Edwards called Mohammedanism would fall here's what Edwards said when the spirit of God begins to be so gloriously poured forth at the end of the age my God are you getting this I don't think you're getting this. Jonathan Edwards in 1773 said there's going to be a revival break forth. It's going to start in America. I have my beliefs that part of it is going to begin right here in the United States of America in Columbus, Ohio at 4595 Gender Road. Here's what he said in 1773 at the beginning of the 21st century. When the Holy Spirit begins to be poured out, Satan's Mohammedan kingdom will be utterly over. A throne and then though Mohammedanism has been so vastly propagated in the world and is upheld by such a great empire this smoke which has ascended out of the bottomless pit shall be utterly scattered before the light of that glorious day and Mohammedan empire shall fall at the sound of the great trumpet which shall then be blown We're talking about a revival. We're talking about a reformation. We're talking about an upheaval, the likes of which this nation and the world have ever known. We're talking about a generational shift. We're talking about a transfer of authority. We're talking about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to literally shake the foundations of the earth. This expectation of the fall of Islam was the central theme of the Great Awakening. God, I wish I had time to preach. I wish I had time to tell you that America has had two Great Awakenings. And I'm here to announce today, by the help and the grace of God, as long as there is breath in my body, I will believe for the Third Great Awakening. I believe that the church is being roused out of its slumber, even as I speak to you in this moment. Uh, that great awakening was the founding revival of the revolution. and Thus became the central theme of what might be called the founding dream of America. It must have come to no surprise to those who fought it then that America's first war was against Muslims. Now, very few Americans know that. And I can tell by the way you're looking at me, you're a little shocked at it yourself. Because you think the first war that we fought was against the British in 1812. And in actuality, our first war was the Tripolitan War. Fought against the Muslim pirates of North Africa's Barbary Coast. It was a war that foreshadowed much in our history complete with hostages and rescue missions and terrorist acts and a congress that would not decide whether it was engaged in a war or a police action though later generations would tend to see this and most wars in a non-spiritual term americans of that generation understood their battle as the muslim captain of a ship manned by american captives did he wanted his enslaved crew of christians to know that they were to be treated harshly quote for your history and superstition of believing in a man who was crucified by the jews and disregarding the true doctrine of god's last and greatest prophet mohammed Clearly, the Tripolitan War was a battle of faith, and Americans are reminded of this deeply religious conflict every time the United States Marines tell us through song that they were fashioned first on the shores of Tripoli. We sing and quote these little chivalrous of tradition, we have no idea where they came from. From the hills of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, we'll fight our nation's battles. On the land and on the sea. Tripoli was our first war. It was waged against Muslim pirates who took our people captive because they believed in a Jesus crucified by the Jews. Other examples of America's historic conflict with Islam could be cited, but the point is made. September 11th calls us to understand a fresh struggle that is deeply rooted in our past. It is a struggle with more than terrorism, with more than embittered third world nations. It is a fundamental conflict between the founding values of the West and the inherent worldview of a religious system that is at odds with that conviction. This is in our age of religious synchronism which is the combination of different forms of belief or practice it's hard to understand but we find now we have no choice the time has come. In fact, we may be already losing the battle. As I scan the world, I find that Islam at this moment is responsible for more pain, more bloodshed, more devastation than nearly any other force on earth. I look to the horrors of the African nation of Sudan. I find slavery. I find massacre. I find traumatic human upheaval of the sort that even beleaguered Africa has seldom seen. Nigeria, on a similar scale, is much the same. The hand-to-hand violence in the streets of indonesia has astonished the world the informed know that the taliban had been sending refugees by the thousands over the border of pakistan for years before the recent crisis and not long ago the world was horrified to hear that more than 150 children were killed and nearly 250 more hospitalized when muslim chechen rebels commandeered a school In Russia, if I spoke of the persecution of Christians by Muslims, I could broaden even further the scope of what I'm saying. I limit myself to Muslims against Muslims. The world is scarcely aware that some 300,000 Kurds were butchered under sanction of the clerical fatwa or religious decree in Iraq before that the war between Iran and Iraq was inflamed by the declared jihads of Shiite against Sunni and Sunni against Shiite Muslim. This was the world's bloodiest war in a long and tortured history of bloody war. The list could continue in a long time. There are some, of course, who will say that the violence I cite is the exception and not the rule. I beg to differ. You, uh, did you hear what I just said? Because what, what people are going to tell you, well, that's just the exception. Everything that I just articulated, well, that's just the exception. It's not the rule. I couldn't disagree with you more. I cite violence to you and I beg to differ with you. I will counter respectfully that what some call extremists are instead mainstream Muslim believers who are drawing from the well at the very heart of Islam. It is said of Ishmael and his descendants in ancient times that they would live by the sword and he was a wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. I suggest that this is the spirit that has come to fill Islam or perhaps that Islam encompassed from the very beginning. This would be nothing to worry about, you understand, if Islam was just some backwater religion on the fringe of history somewhere, but it is not. Unless Islam is checked from without and unless Islam is reformed at least from within, it will become a force that shapes the future of our world as much as any other on Earth. Do you know that since September 11th, I'm going to stagger you right now. Touch your neighbor. Say, "Get ready," because this about to freak you out. Get ready. Since September 11, 2001, 34,000 Americans have become Muslims. This means that thousands of Americans have embraced the very religion that inspired the worst assault on their nation in a generation. Did you know that there are some 1,209 mosques in America, 25% of which have been built since 1994? Did you know that there are nearly a billion and a half Muslims in the world? A billion and a half. But how would you know it? After all, it's not in People magazine. It's not on Access Hollywood. All these situations do not bode well if Islam is what I believe it to be. Many in America do not believe that Islam possesses any problem since they do not see its influence in a tangible way in their daily lives. But Islam's influence has injected itself into our communities in ways that we are slow to realize. Let me share with you just one example from a pastor that I've known for many years. His church was growing, so he was interested in expanding his building. There was a parcel of property that was right next door owned by a man that went to another church the man refused to sell the property to my pastor friend and in the meantime an islamic group was considering building a mosque in that same community the pastor went to the city officials and he said to them it wouldn't be good for the city but the islamic group promised that building the mosque would result in a lot of money coming into the local economy the mosque is now built on the property that the pastor wanted to buy to expand his church He went to the property owner and asked him why he sold the land to the Muslim group when he was himself a Christian. Since the man professed Christianity, the property owner replied it was strictly a business deal. The pastor said, What about the business of spreading the gospel? You see, Christianity is spread by planting churches. Islam is spread by planting mosques, many of which are funded by Arab oil money. There is a Muslim mosque being built seeking to spread Islamic doctrine throughout the community and beyond where a Christian church could have increased its influence in the community. There's another statistic that should give you a jolt. Did you know that Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world? Islam, the fastest growing religion in the world. Now, some might dispute that fact, but it is true. If you consider how Islam is growing, there is no question that Christianity is growing by conversion more rapidly than any other religion in the world. Nearly 250,000 people are being converted to Christianity every day worldwide. You ought to say, Hallelujah. That's a quarter of a million people. However, the Christian part of the world is shrinking overall largely because of the horror of abortion. You didn't hear what I just said. That we're having more people converted to Christianity than are converting to Islam, yet we are aborting our children and they are multiplying by reproduction. The fact is that Europe is aborting itself to death. The Muslims of Europe who do not practice abortion are increasing as a percentage of the population at an astonishing rate, as they are worldwide. So this explains Islam's growth. It is literally growing itself by birth rates into the largest, fastest-growing religion on earth. In fact, by the year 2005, Muslims will comprise 30% of the world's population. 30% of the world's population. And with numbers comes influence. Some time ago in France, their Senate passed a law banning Muslim headscarves and other religious apparel from the nation's classrooms. There have been many numerous challenges and controversies about the law. The majority of French citizens And lawmakers from both sides of the political spectrum have supported the law, which would ban the headdresses and so forth, which reaffirms their, not our, constitutionally granted principle of separation in church and state, of church and state, which is a core value in France, not America. Yet a steadily growing and increasing vocal Muslim minority continues to make it an issue. When two French journalists were kidnapped and held hostage in Iraq, they were threatened with death unless the ban of headscarves was overturned in France. Now, stop right there because I I know you want me to hurry, and I'm feeling all that pressure, and 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 I I, I gotta I gotta get this out. I, I'm sorry, I I gotta get this out. See, I'm, I'm talking so fast that I'm afraid you may be missing what I'm saying. Now, here's what I just told you. In France, where they're supposed to have separation of church and state, they passed a law banning Muslim headscarves from being worn in public schools. The outcry was so violent That Frenchmen were taken hostage halfway around the world and threatened with death. Now, now wait a minute. Let Let me show you the difference. They banned prayer from our schools. We did not lead an uprising to murder those who passed the law. You're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. You've got to get this spirit of inclusion cast out of you. We're sleeping with the enemy. Willing to murder innocent people who had nothing to do with the law so that their children could wear headscarves to public school. Why are you looking at me so funny? Is this a religion? Is this, is, is this service to God? In the Netherlands, Theo van Gogh, a Dutch filmmaker, produced an exposé on the abuse of women in Islam. He was later shot, stabbed to death, as he rode a bicycle through Amsterdam. His head nearly severed from his neck, and two knives left stuck in his body. One with a note pinned to it, containing the lines from the Koran which announced jihad there's the picture they won't let us have bible study at school but we're not cutting people's heads off because of it man was arrested and charged with murder and radical islamic fundamentalist convictions according to dutch authorities the government has felt unusual pressure handling this brutal murder case to avoid offending Muslims living in the country. Let me go on? Uh, Let me go on just a minute. Uh, There there are some, of course, even in the United States, problems that were unheard of a generation ago are surfacing. The question of how to interrogate and integrate Islamic prayers into the American workplace is becoming more common. According to Ibrahim Hooper of the Council of Abraham uh, of American Islamic Relations, Muslims are required to pray five times a day. Most of the prayers are flexible, but sunset prayers must be set at dark. Some companies use a tag-out system that allows workers to step away from the job for a few moments at sunset prayer. In February of this year, 30 Muslims, most of them Somalia, walked off the job at, a Dell, at the Dell Incorporated plant because they say the company refused to let them take a break for prayer at sunset. In 2003, another company settled a federal complaint and now allows Muslim workers at a freezer factory to break at sunset for prayers. I'd like to see that, I'd like to see that at, Ameri- at, a, at, a, at a major American corporation that the Christians could get together and say, listen, on the clock, we're gonna go pray at three o'clock. Last year, Somalis walked off the job at a cell phone company to protest prayer accommodations and other grievances. There are issues that are not going to go away, but will only intensify as this cultural friction continues. To give you a better picture of Islam, take a look at concentrations of Muslims exist around the world. Islam is growing in some of the most strategic places in the world. Consider the following, as I said before in round numbers, there are one and one half billion everybody say billion Muslims on earth listen to this only about six million live in the United States The five largest Muslim nations are 180 million in Indonesia, 125 million in Pakistan, 109 million in Bangladesh, 84 million in India, 66 million in Iran. Some of the countries we think of as Muslim strongholds are somewhat lower on the list, Sudan and Afghanistan, 22 million. Iraq has 20 million. Saudi Arabia has 19 million. The facts are clear. We are heading toward an historic conflict. Islam is growing rapidly. Rapidly and is becoming more violent. America has historically understood herself to be a bastion against Islam in the world. Now America is engaged in conflict with Muslims at home and the far from battlegrounds of Afghanistan and Iraq. History is crashing in upon us. What makes the conflict with Islam so desperate is that Islam is not just another belief system at odds with Christianity. Do you care? Really? Do you care at all? Islam is not just another belief system which is at conflict with America, Christianity. It's not just a set of superstitions or practices that people do in the privacy of their own homes that never bother anyone else. Islam, instead, is a faith that fully intends to conquer the world, and it cannot be ignored. It must be answered. But first, it has to be understood. If you'll allow me, I'd like to teach you just a little bit about Islam. Most people in America have no idea what Islam teaches. In fact, just after the tragedies of September 11, 2001, some Americans proved just how ignorant of Islam they really were. In one city, a Jewish synagogue had rocks thrown through its windows because youths could not distinguish a synagogue from a mosque. In another city, several Sikhs were beaten up by people who assumed they were Muslims. These are just a few examples, and Americans need to wake up. We, we can tell you, you know, J-Lo's latest love affair or Britney Spears' lyrics to her latest CD, but we don't know anything about other religions. We don't know very much about our own. So it creeps in. Like leaven, it creeps in. I can feel it. It it creeps in. Well, we ought to just all get along. There's really no difference. We shouldn't say anything about other faiths. Excuse me. Excuse me. The fact is that Americans are woefully ignorant of other faiths. And this is not only tragic... But when it comes to Islam, now the greatest religious enemy of our civilization in the world, it's dangerous. I'm going to give you some basics about Islam, and I'm going to let you go. At the outset, I must state three important truths that I'll provide support for later. Here they are. Number one, the God of Christianity and the God of Islam are two separate beings. Excuse me. Mr. Bush, I support you. You need to stop saying that the God of Islam and the God of Christianity are the same God. They're not the same God. They're not the same entity. And I'll prove that to you. Number two, Muhammad received revelations from demon spirits, not from the living God. Number three. Islam is an anti-Christ religion that intends through violence to conquer the world. Did you get those three truths? These truths probably sound extreme, but they're true. And I trust that by the time I'm finished, you'll see that what I have said is absolutely true. Please don't think this doesn't affect you. I don't, I don't know. I I like that country song says, Do you remember? Do you remember what it was like? September 11th, 2001? I do. I remember gathering school children from Harvest Preparatory School in here around this altar. I remember them shaking like leaves. I I remember parents trying to get calls into them. I, I remember wondering as the second. Trade Center was hit and then news of the Pentagon and then there was another plane going down in Pennsylvania I, I remember what that was like. I, I've been there. I've been I've been on the ground floor The only preacher i ever allowed to be there I was on the ground floor of, of the world trade centers looking up through those gaping holes that would swallow up this building a hundred times over I remember talking to talking to police officers and firefighters New York City's finest I remember them telling me that it, it took them several minutes to take their fingers and, and pry the soot that had exploded into their mouths from those buildings collapsing out of their nose and out of their throat so that they could have air to breathe. I, I remember them telling me that they found themselves underneath a car that had been turned up on its side, holding on to a wheel of that car as their body was literally held out at, at an angle by the force of the air of those Buildings collapsing in upon themselves. I've seen video that perhaps you haven't seen of human beings just like you and me that sat in church services the Sunday before September 11th and wondered why the preacher was talking so long. I watched them hurl themselves out of the 87th floor. I've heard recordings of the sound of their bodies hitting the ground and bouncing up a story and a half in the air from the impact when they hit the ground and we need to get out of our minds that that was just some 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 happening some some singular crazed person that did that you need to understand today what did that muslim islamic fundamentalist And extremists are what did that. And your government and politicians and preachers want you to snuggle up next door to them. And allow them to build a mosque next door to your church. While you sing hallelujah. Stand up. Sylvia. Sylvia could talk to you about the Muslim faith. She's walked in Sudan. She's seen women with their breasts cut off to the screams of Allah is God and Muhammad his prophet. She could tell you the men that she's talked to have had their arms macheted off. Because they named the name of Jesus. Muslim fundamentalists decided that name should not be glorified. One and a half billion Muslims on earth today and growing faster than any other religion on the face of the earth. Don't think it does not affect you. Our government is fighting every day, every day Our government is fighting, spending billions and untold billions of dollars trying to keep the neighborhood safe where you live from Muslim extremists, people that want to blow you up because they want their children to wear a headscarf in public school. Here, 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 let me me show you. Muhammad, born AD 570 in the Arabian town of Mecca. The religious heart of Mecca was an area that encircled a black building called the Kaaba. This building was holy to the Arabs because it housed a meteorite. No virgin birth here. We got a Cahaba. We got a black building where Arabs worship hundreds of of deities this kaaba this black building is built around a black stone that was a meteorite that was holy a holy black meteorite and they think we're crazy come on a black Meteorite in a black building in Mecca where Arabs gather to worship hundreds of deities (laughs) Arab tribes Separated as they were worshiped their individual gods around this Kaaba which meant that more than 270 gods were being worshipped at that time. One of these 270 gods, but only one among the many, was Allah. He was the God of the Korish tribe, who believed that Allah was the only true God. Muhammad was a member of the Korish tribe. Muhammad had an unusual upbringing. His father died before he was born. His mother died shortly after giving birth. Muhammad's uncle raised him and taught him the skills of a caravan leader. He was a lonely child, epileptic who often cried himself to sleep at night on the cold desert floor. His travels took him to the far reaches of the Middle East and gave him an opportunity to learn about many religions of the ancient world. He quickly realized that the Jews and the Christians had a comprehensive faith that made them great and powerful, while the Arabs had only their many tribal gods and were, in truth, not a unified people at all. Muhammad came into the employ of a wealthy widow named Qaddaq. Kadija Kadija. His wife was 15 years older than he was. Over time, the two of them fell in love and were married. Muhammad found himself a prosperous, respected merchant with an adoring wife and a growing family. Yet he was still troubled by the religious problems of the Arabs. He often went to the mountains outside Mecca to pray and ponder the matter of faith. Once, when he was meditating in a cave on the peak, peak of Mount Hira in A.D. 610, he had the experience that became the foundation of the new faith that would sweep the world while prostrate on the floor of his cave one night deep in meditation he heard a voice the voice cried recite Muhammad was confused and alarmed it was a spirit surely he could feel its presence filling the cave or maybe the whole mountain he believed it was a demon did you underline that he believed it was a demon that came to him in Mount Hera and suspected it had mistaken him for one of the ecstatic prophets, sometimes called a reciter, a caim. But he was not, he was not, and he had no intention of becoming. reciter. I am not a reciter, he insisted, believing the spirit mistook him for another man. And for a moment, there was nothing. But then, in a violent rush, the unseen spirit gripped him and overwhelmed him with such pressure that he thought he was going to die. Now, we've got a spirit grabbing hold of a man. He thinks he's going to die. He thinks it's a demon. Suddenly, it let him go. There was a pause. And then, as firmly as before, the spirit demanded, recite. Again, Mohammed replied, I am not reciter yet again the spirit gripped him until the crush was more than he could bear release came and then another pause muhammad was angry and frightened and certain the spirit was wrong about him it was no compliment to be called a kain and muhammad knew it he was revolted by the thought that that this spirit would consider him to be a reciter again the spirit spoke recite again mohammed replied i am no reciter and again the invisible horrifying grip that must lead to death then nothing but the voice came again and mohammed found that that the spirit was now watch me the spirit was now speaking through his mouth and demanding that he recite Proclaim in the name of your Lord and cherisher who created created man out of mere clots of congealed blood. He who taught the use of the pen taught man that which he did not know. These words from the spirit coming out of Muhammad's mouth. Muhammad felt certain there was some kind of a mistake after all. He couldn't have learned anything by the pen. He was illiterate. The spirit was wrong. But Mohammed had spoken the words despite himself. Spoken what he did not understand and had not conceived in his own mind. He was, in a word, possessed. It had happened. He knew it. He had become possessed. He was now a mad kahin, despite himself. In a rush of terror, he ran from the cave. He found the summit and was just about to throw himself off when the voice came again. Oh, Mohammed, thou art the apostle of God, and I am Gabriel he stopped now more confused than ever but trying to understand he was breathless and frantic what should he do in a flash he decided he would go to his wife she would know she'd know what to do she could tell him if he was mad or even worse if he was possessed as he suspected crawling on his hands and knees his whole body in convulsions he arrived home and fell in his wife's lap he begged her to cover him with a blanket or a shawl which she did and now he was even more frightened because a Kahin whenever they spoke these ecstatic prophets always covered themselves with a robe before delivering an oracle from the spirit that tormented them he had become a Kahin he was terrified he shared what had happened with his wife and asked her if she was if he was indeed possessed She assured him rejoice husband be of cheer you will be the prophet of this people Muhammad knew what that meant for he was of the Khorish tribe a people deeply devoted to Allah the name that means the God but this deity was merely one that many worshipped at the Kaaba for the chorus, though Allah was the primary and Muhammad knew that if he was a prophet at all then he must be a prophet of Allah still could he be mistaken could he be possessed his wife protested, you are a kind and considerate toward your kin. You help the poor and you, you are forlorn and bear their burdens. You are striving to restore the high moral qualities that your people have lost. You honor the guest, and you go to the assistance of those in distress. This cannot be, my dear. You cannot be possessed. He wanted to believe it, but he wasn't sure. His wife saw the doubt and it sparked an idea. She'd go to her cousin. And her cousin was a Christian who was wise in, in all these matters of the spirit realm and would give him advice. She ran quickly to find the blind old man and told him the story. And when he heard what had, been, what had befallen Muhammad, he cried out, Holy, Holy. That's why it's dangerous to ask other people if you've heard from God. By him in whose hands is the soul of Warakah, there hath come unto Mohammed the greatest name, even he that would come to Moses. Verily Mohammed is the prophet of this people. Bid him rest assured. Something in the Christians' words settled the matter. Upon hearing his this old man, his words, he 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 became settled. Muhammad said he resigned himself. He was indeed to be the prophet of his people, a prophet of Allah. He was reluctant but willing. Soon there were more trips to the mountain and more revelations. They came like clanging of bells in his head, left him shaken and feverish, but the spirit spoke again and again. This spirit, this Gabriel told Muhammad that Allah, the god of the Quraysh tribe, was more than a local deity, more than just one of hundreds, but rather the the Lord of creation and so they must know they must be converted this Allah must be given due honor and must be obeyed men must submit to the true God Allah these words became the meaning of Muhammad's life his answer for his people and his message to the world there is no God but Allah and I Muhammad am his prophet this is the story of Islam's beginning Muhammad had an experience with a tribal deity It told him he was a prophet Mohammed sought the spirit Muhammad thought the demon the spirit was a demon and almost killed himself out of fear of it and fear being possessed A Christian told him he was hearing from God So Muhammad came to believe that he was hearing from the only true God and that he was this God's only true prophet Before I show you what Islam teaches, let me make a couple of matters clear from the story you've just heard. Here they are. Mohammed did not hear From the true and living God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mohammed heard from a demon spirit, which portrayed itself as a tribal deity. This God was but one of hundreds worshipped at the Kaaba and was the the God of Mohammed's tribe. What I want you to see is that any comparison to Jehovah... The creator of the universe, the God of the Old and New Testaments, and the God of Jesus Christ is fiction. Allah was a demon spirit. Even Muhammad thought so at first. I want to also for you to notice the way in which the spirit manifested itself to Muhammad. It didn't come in peace. It didn't come in truth, as angels and messengers of the true God did in Scripture. Instead, it came in violence. It came in fear. It came in control. It came in domination. It forced its will upon Muhammad with such oppression that Muhammad thought he was literally losing his mind. Is this not the way of a true messenger of the true God of the Old and the New Testaments? I want you to consider what effect this had on Muhammad. This man, sadly convinced by a Christian that he was hearing from God, continued to have revelations. They would come on him with gripping fear. He would hear sounds like loud bells in his head, and they would force the breath from him. When a revelation ended, Mohammed would be left fitful in fever for days on end. These signs befit a man who is gripped by a demon, not a man who has had a revelation from the true and living God. We see nothing of such occurrences in the Bible or the annals of church history. Mohammed was tragically beset by a demon, which he mistook for the living God. He thus became the mouthpiece of a conspiracy of spiritual evil. One of the reasons the, the facts I have shared with you today, one of the reasons for the facts I've shared with you today are so alarming is that there are so few who will talk about them. Telling the truth involves risk, but the risk of remaining silent is far greater. Here's what I want you to leave with today. Jehovah God is a God of love. He forces himself on no one. He comes to you humbly, the God of all creation, and reveals to you in your heart that he is the true and living God and that he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you that whosoever would believe upon him would not perish